Okay. All right. Um, okay. And the little piece of paper that Velta gave you out, it says uh, just a three-point outline for the, the chapter 15. And in, in its first ten verses are being right related to Jesus. And Art, Art uh, spoke about that last week, and we're going we're gonna to read it again today, but uh, right related to Jesus. Uh, then from 11 to 17, it's right related to each other. And then the rest of the chapter and into chapter 16 is right related to the world. And uh, Velta was taught in Bible school, and, and we know it's true, that repetition is theological mucilage. Now, if you don't know what mucilage is, ask your neighbor. Repetition is theological glue. We repeat it, we repeat it, and we repeat it, and maybe it'll stick. <laughs> That's where we are. So to go back, this discourse that we have that the scholars have called the upper room discourse, chapters, <clears throat> chapters, uh, um, 14, 15, 16, 17 was all on the night that Jesus had to pass over with his disciples. In this case, it was 11. <clears throat> Judas had already been excused to go do the deed. And then Jesus said, I need to tell you something. <laughs> he had them around the dinner table like we would be and he says it's important fellas that you listen and he said some profound things in these chapters one of the major ones and we'll keep talking about this as we go was the role of the Holy Spirit had John not put it in we wouldn't know the specifics that we do but we're grateful that John says, you know, I'm going to send you a helper. You're not going to be orphans. I'm going to come alongside you and help you. And that's chapter 14, and, and we're, we're going. Uh, now, scholars say that at the end of chapter 14, uh, he says... Get up and let us go from here. So most scholars said that these last chapters, 15, 16, and 17, were as he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Stopping maybe along the way, um, but he was talking about it. Um, this... 15th chapter we know as as the vine and the branches and following this well some people have speculated that as they were leaving 
uh, the upper room, they went by the temple. And there were some ornaments on the temple uh, of grapevines and this kind of thing. And it could have been a, a show and tell, but Jesus starts off in verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and I will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples, just as the Father has loved me, I have loved, uh, also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. When you interpret scripture <laughs> uh, it's kind of like the realtors you know it's location 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 when you interpret scripture it's context 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 this was written to his audience of eleven it was written to them, but it is for us. When we were in Exodus and we got to the, the Ten Commandments, it was written to that group of Jews that were wandering in the wilderness. And yet, it's for us today. And as we've said before, Jesus amplified every commandment but one and we've talked about that he didn't say anything about the sabbath uh, but it was very important to god we are talking about the holy spirit the third part of the trinity i can't explain it to you we've said that before it's just a fact so when jesus was talking to this group of 11 and he says, I am the vine. Now they had a real unique place in history. They had walked with him for three years. They, <laughs> they saw him act. They saw him 
They saw him heal. They saw him all the things that, that they saw Jesus do. And yet, from what we are taught and what we kind of know, this idea of going to the cross was still foreign to them. But Jesus said, I must go. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago that he said he had to go to the cross because he was human and he could only be at one place at one time. He was fully God, but he was fully human. So he was limited by time and space. But he says, I'm going to send somebody that's going to walk right alongside of you and is going to comfort you and be your counselor and be your helper and the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't explain what happens at salvation, but at salvation, we get the Lord in us. We've talked about that. If that's the case, we need to be careful <laughs> about what we do and how we say and how we act and how we conduct ourselves. So he says here, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. We know enough about growing a sweet potato in a window and a glass of water to, to know how, how, how life works. If it stays in the water and the sweet potato will put out a vine and maybe you can go plant it and it'll grow. But it, it needs the nutrients and it needs to be plugged in. We know that. And verse 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Much fruit. Okay. Let's pick up in verse 11, and we'll read through verse 17. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Not happiness, but joy. There's a difference. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer will I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatsoever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you. This commandment, this I command you, that you love one another. <clears throat> Greater love has no man than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. Um, friends we have acquaintances we have friends 
we have dear friends. I think it's part of our male psyche, and I'm going to talk to the men just a minute. No raising of hands. No raising of hands. <clears throat> have you got a real friend? I'm talking about myself now. I've got friends. I've had a few real friends. It's a, it's a flaw. <laughs> it's a flaw in our in our male thing, you know. We're we're pretty good at ourselves, you know. I think we would all say, you know, after living with a spouse a long time, that's our friend. And it's tied close together. Some of the real friends I've had, <laughs> I got them by default because his wife and Velter were friends. But through the years, we were real friends. You know, I've had problems with this verse all week. Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. Well, Belton and I have talked about this. I wouldn't have any problem laying down my life for my family. But some of you, I wouldn't. <laughs> but but you, you see how scripture cuts and how true it is? There's friends that I can share to this point. There are very few friends that I share to this point where they know all about me, know my hang-ups, and somebody said a true friend was one that knows all about you and still loves you. <laughs> still loves you. But Jesus is telling his disciples here, guys, you need to love one another. And when you do that, when you do that, you'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. <clears throat> I've been following Chuck Swindoll in, in this study, and he says a couple of things about these verses. One, to have a real friend is to disregard personal sacrifice. To forfeit means uh, something without exception of anything in return. The sole motivation for sacrifice must be the highest and greatest good of the other person. Dedicate, a dedication to mutual aims, genuine friendships are found, or excuse me, are founded on shared values 
Individual goals might be different for two people, but their objectives do not conflict. Mutual confidentiality. Holding the confidence of another involves keeping private matters with absolute discretion. The greatest tech test of trust in friendship with men is when they heed their when I heed their counsel. I'm convinced I want to do something or go somewhere or and yet I share with my real friend and he said, Bill, you're stupid. And I take his counsel. Most of us, I'm still talking to men, are so hard-headed that we've got it all figured out. Belton and I have had this discussion. We'll be talking to somebody and something, and, and she'll tell me, well, he wants such and such. I said, no, he doesn't. He's going to do what he wants to do. <laughs> Swindoll says this, As a young man, I wanted to have as many friends as possible. But as I matured, I realized that being friendly is not the same as being a friend. We should be liberal with our kindness, genuine and deep Genuine and deep friendships, however, is costly. Have you ever been hurt with a friend? The deeper you love, you're setting yourself up to be hurt. But trust God, it's going to be okay. And that hurt's going to be all right. Because... He says here, however, it is costly. Therefore, I now choose my friends wisely because I really realize that I do not have exhaustible resources to sacrifice. I have only so much to give in support of another's endeavors. Moreover, I cannot maintain the confidence of an infinite number of friends. So my list of genuine friends is manageably short. While I choose to enjoy camaraderie with many and offer kind kindness to all. Swindoll is articulating what we know. What we know. When you love, it's gonna cost. And you're setting yourself up to get hurt. But it's worth it. But you can't be confident or confidentiality or hold a confidence with a bunch of people. You know? Well, who did I tell what? <laughs> you know, who, did I, who knows this? Jesus himself said, The truth will set you free. Just tell the truth. 
But you also need to be careful who you tell and what you tell. Okay? All right. So verse 16 says, I did not choose, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And, and here again, he's talking to the eleven. He found them on the seashore. He found them at the tax collector booth. He, he found them and said, come follow me. So you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. In just a few hours, just a few hours from this, Jesus is going to be in the garden and the mob's going to come and Judas is going to kiss him and they're going to lead him away and this discussion will be no more. I command you that you love one another. That you love one another. Verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before. It hates you. A friend with God, being a friend with God, is automatically hostility with what we call the world. Now, the world doesn't mean this planet. It doesn't mean um, it doesn't it doesn't mean the earth. It doesn't mean the trees or the streams or anything else. They're they're part of the world, but it's this idea of the world. What, what did Jesus said? He says, uh, the hostility we have today is under the control of Satan. I don't think you, any of us have any problem with that. Because he's the prince and the power of this world. And, and, uh, it's a natural thing that what we what we find brings brings uh, brings dishonor. He says here, I have seen my own nation where we are, this America grow tolerant of every conceivable philosophy and religion except Christianity. I mean, great day. Uh, girls becoming boys and boys becoming girls and, and that's okay. 
every everything you can come up with, you know. And yet, Jesus said here, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If you persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. We talked about this the last time I talked. The best way I can explain some things that are going on in the world and some particular people is by just simply saying they're lost. They cannot understand where we're coming from. Vladimir Putin is lost. He's just lost. Uh, verse 23, he who hates me hate my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Later on, as we get into the New Testament and Paul is going, <laughs> they, Paul, the Jews hated Paul just because he was Paul and because what he was teaching, something contrary to what they thought was, was uh, paramount. Jesus is telling the disciples before or as they were going to Gethsemane. He says, I want you to know what's going to happen. <laughs> we used to say in business, you know, I, I would, we would bid a job and we would, we would uh, go on the job and then all of a sudden, they said, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. One thing we didn't like, Ray, was surprises. When we know what's going to happen, that's a little bit different thing. We, we're expecting it. But a surprise, in this particular case, I want you to know what's going to happen. I don't want you surprised by the fact that they're going to hate you because you love me and, and I'm in you. They're going to hate you because of that. 
And they did. They, they did. And they do today. Don't ever think that we are a Christian nation. <laughs> We're not. I mean, that's hard to, to take. Because in the South, where we are, you know, it's, it's the norm. We've had the joy of having Carson in our home for the last year, a little bit. And uh, I'll come up with something, and she said, I need to write that down. <laughs> she called them billisms. <laughs> but the other day I was talking about, I said, when you're, when you're north of the Mason-Dixon uh, line, such and such, she says, I need to write that down. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Belta also heard this in Bible school, and, and we know it's true. We are what we have been becoming. We are what we have been becoming. Who our parents were, how we were raised, who we married, our education, everything makes us who we are today. Makes us who we are today. So he says, as disciples, your relationship with the world is important, but know that, that they're going to hate you. Verse 23, he who hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father. That is the spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. A few chapters ago, chapter 12, Jesus said, if anyone hears my saying and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me does not receive my saying as one who judges him. The word that I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to say, excuse me, as to what to say and what to speak. So Jesus said, I didn't come on my own initiative. I came at the appointed time, according to Galatians. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And he testified about 
what God told him to do. And he's told his disciples here, he says, I've told everything, uh, whatever you ask, excuse me, that's not it. Uh, all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So what God told Jesus to do, he did. And he told his disciples what he was going to do. Now look down in verse, verse uh, 26. He says, when the helper comes, the paraclete, the counselor, he who walks alongside, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit brags on Jesus. Jesus bragged on his daddy. The Holy Spirit brags on Jesus. It all goes back to the Father. They have three different roles, and yet they're one. Somebody smarter than Art and I can have to explain that to you. But we know that they had different roles. Up until Christ came, it was God. Everything that happened was God. Burning bush with Moses. Going across the Red Sea. All this was God. God said, do this. <clears throat> Velt and I just got through reading through Leviticus. And it's in Scripture. But I don't know why God wrote it. <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's just bizarre. And yet he did. So he says here, And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Now chapter 16, uh, realizing that chapter headings were man-made and the flow needs to go through uh, verse 4 here. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. No surprises. They will make you outcast. Oh, my word. Oh, I get scared when I look at that clock. Okay. Uh, they will make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering a service. That's exactly what Paul did. I mean, Saul did. He thought he was doing the right thing. Verse 3. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Lost. They're just lost. These things I have spoken to you that when their hour comes that you may remember that I told you them. These things I did not to say you from the beginning because I was with you. When Jesus walked and talked with them, they had a question. They said, Lord, explain this to me. And he did. But he's leaving real quick. And he's telling them, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. You won't be all 
orphan, but I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. Now, read you what Swindoll says about some of that. He said, These things refer to everything Jesus had said about the believer's relationship in the world, which is is strained. It's just, it's not 10 o'clock yet, but anyway. (laughs) Who said? (laughs) All right, I'll stop. Okay, I've gone too long. We'll pick it up next week. Thank you.